0: Okay, um, so welcome uh, to You Talking with Greg. Uh, I'm Thanks. here with uh, Alexander Reed Elong, um, and I met him through Alexander Bard's intellectual deep web. Alexander, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you very much. It's a
0: pleasure to be here. I'm really glad to have have you here. This show, uh, there's lots of different possible topics uh, that you and I are interested in together. Uh, we've dialogued on the intellectual deep web. We've been on Voices of Verveke together uh, on John Verveke's program, where me, you, Bard, and John talked a lot about rationality. Um, but before we get into that, uh, how about you just share? I'm a little curious to hear a little bit more about your background and how you got hooked up with Bard and what your interests and vision
1: in this world are. Well, um, my background is in law and legal philosophy, um, and I pursued a PhD. And then uh, at some point I decided that uh, I, want to, I wanted to uh, pursue my roots instead um, and make a living as a writer. So mm. I've been doing that for the last five years. I've been working mm-hmm. um, as a screenwriter uh, as, and, and as a composer. Uh, currently I'm writing a play uh, about Jung and the Red Book. Oh wow and I'm composing music uh, for yeah, and I'm composing music for uh, Withering Heights, uh, huh. if you're familiar with uh, emily bronte's uh, book yep that's absolutely. being made um, into a play in uh, uh, actually a 3 part play where i'm uh, composing the music for it, so uh, I have a lot of work this summer <laughs> wow, that's fascinating so you really uh, and, uh, then um me and yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, re- I'm really into um, working uh, with like writing and composing. Okay. And then I think me and Bart met each other through uh, some common friends. Um, and then he invited me into IDB and we started collaborating uh, on emergence theory after a while. <laughs> Yeah,
0: that sounds really uh, interesting. I know that that's one of the areas you and I have talked a lot about. Uh, so, and, and that's something that you and Bard really have worked uh, closely on. So maybe we can start there and talk a little bit about um, what your sort of angle
1: and take is on emergence theory and what you and Bard
0: have been working on.
1: Well, I think, I think the main thing uh, when it comes to emergence theory is the question uh, of difference uh, from an ontological and an ontic uh, level. Yep. So whenever we are perceiving anything, we have to ask ourselves, is this something that is within me or outside me? And when we start to go into things that are outside us, um, we have to find different ways of explaining that. And we usually do that through either uh, epistemology or ontology. So I think the way to understand emergence theory is that there are different modes of being which are different from the way we are. So our own being is, is of course the way we, com- what we compare everything to. But then like from he- a Heideggerian perspective, there's a difference between me and like the object I'm touching because I'm perceiving something uh, when I'm touching the object, but I'm not perceiving that the object is touching me from a subjective point of view. So there's a difference between the subjective and the objective. And the question is then, um, if we want to go away from, let's say, uh, somewhat simplistic notion of du- dualism, for instance, or any any type of reduction. Really, it could be materialism or um, physicalism or or, or, uh, or uh, idealism. Uh, what emergence theory does is really give every uh, strata of being its own place so we can engage with it on its own level, but still understand it in some sort of meta-system.
0: Right, right. And you uh, – so let's just help folks make sure we're clear on some of these terms, okay? Uh, So, yeah, so the ontic refers to the reality independent of the knower. Um, generally, uh, then we have epistemic process, which are the ways in which we might know we are situated from a subjective perspective. And and at least I would say sort of we're contained inside of an epistemological portal. That is our consciousness. That's our window into the world as it were. And then we have to try to sort out, well, what is real relative to, uh, what is our construction of what's real? Uh, one of the things I share with Bard in relationship to this in my own history that I see very clearly, uh, and I talk about a thing called the Enlightenment Gap. Um, now, as a clinical psychologist, mm. uh, uh, the clini- uh, I get trained um, through not so much through Hegel, but I argue really that the structures that inform the approach to science uh, that I was uh, sort of raised in, and they didn't really say this explicitly, but I had to sort of look and really see what the assumptions are was a combination really of a Newtonian kind of physicalism, like a substance monism. And that would say ontologically, Hey, what's real is the physical universe that, and then that was coupled to a sort of Kantian epistemology that well to know anything, we can only know phenomena, uh, our phenomenology. And that is, and, and really I would argue that psychology never, gets a clear relation uh, between ontology and epistemology. It's kind of broken. Um, and so I'm very interested in that. Mm. And that brings me in close relationship to you and the work that you and Barter are doing, trying to get a proper theory of emergence that gets this epistemological, ontological, ontic relation uh, properly
1: sorted out. Mm. Yes, absolutely. Um, and, I, and I think you, you have done a great deal of work on, on the problem of psychology as well. And I think one of the large problems of our psychology is, of course, the tendency to, to reduce psychology to being a sort of materialistic or, or physicalistic science, where, wherein we can understand everything from, let's say, the way we would understand matter, where... a a more reasonable approach would be to understand uh, psyche uh, as it appears to us as phenomena. Um, So instead of trying to measure and weigh what we experience, um, it's more of a, instead of a propositional way of understanding it, it's more of a narrative. It's -hmm. it's more of a symbolic language uh, we can use to understand our own experiences. Because like, if we talk about uh, kvanglia, or emotions, or sense impressions, is not really something that could be weighed and measured. So there's a gap there, of course. And that's what emergence theory is trying to bridge. Absolutely, I mean, that's the, uh, uh,
0: if you know the history within psychology, the different schools of thought battle tremendously about this, uh, and behaviorism, especially as it gets framed by John Watson yeah. originally, is sort of a, phys- it, it, it's a to me it and has all- some very, uh, I'm sorry? And Hull? Yeah. Of course. yeah. Yes, of course. Yeah. Obviously, Clark Hall, Right. In fact, there's really John Watson's behaviorism, Clark Hall's behaviorism, uh, and then uh, Skinner's radical behaviorism. Those are definitely three different kinds of behaviorism, but they're all adopt um, sort of a, a strong scientific view. Uh, the I, John Watson adopts an, both an ontological physicalism, and an epistemological view of natural science, meaning you have to experiment, you have to observe, you have to measure, and everything at the ontological causal level is physical. Um, Clark Hall really takes more of a biological ontology um, that's a a little bit more extended into the organism and its drive reduction. Um, And then B.F. Skinner really drops ontology and adopts a radical empirical epistemology Um, People don't realize this inside of behaviorism that, of course, there are all these different versions of behaviorism that adopt different philosophies, but they all try to jam psychology through the epistemology of science uh, as framed as an objective measurement from an outside vantage point. And of course, if we're setting our epistemology from the outside, then our ability to see the first person inside view is greatly constrained by definition, Hmm. and this is one of the great challenges of psychology uh, you get other fields of psychology like humanistic fields uh, that want to shake off the uh, commitment to modern science and this exterior epistemology and very much embrace psyche and first-person perspective and the field has never figured out a good way uh, to satisfy uh, the very those various frames of reference or bring coherence to them and of course that's part of the Utah project is an ability to actually, um, frame those things with a degree of coherence uh, across the multiple epistemological perspectives, and afford us an ontology uh, that is coherent.
1: Yeah. So you work with three three different types of uh, behaviorism. Is that correct?
0: Yeah. Well, there are many, many. I'm I'm I got embedded in behaviors, and that's sort of where I come from. Uh, th- so there are. Behaviorism, like so many fields, when you get into it, you realize, you know, it's a in, a, in the United States, behaviorism was a big prominent field. It had many, many different kinds of approaches um, to it. Uh, a third, I would definitely need to. A fourth, I should definitely mention, uh, if we're going to, if we, and I'd be happy to go down this path, is called neo-behaviorism. Neo-behaviorism evolves into cognitivism. So yeah. neo-behaviorism is really a fourth branch. Uh, But Clark Hall, B.F. Skinner, John Watson, those are the dominant Mm. branches. Um, And then uh, a guy by the name of Edward Tolman, uh, who uh, Mm. developed a purposeful behavior and neo-behaviorism, he allowed for mentalistic kinds of constructs. That's what made it a neo-behaviorism in the 1930s. Mm. And then really it evolves into with the cognitive revolution. uh, Essentially, neo-behaviorism gets taken over and most people become. That word neo-behaviorists become cognitivists, Um, so that's a that's another branch. Uh, But yep, no, it's a very behaviorism is a fascinating field. Uh, You know, uh, there's also logical behaviorism in philosophy, like Gilbert Ryle, uh, Mm -hmm. and uh, you know, sort of like, uh, and that's a big uh, an area of interest of mine um, because I um, am wanting to figure out ways to harmonize first-person phenomenology. With third-person behaviorism, indeed, that's a big part of my project—is how to do that.
1: So when we look at modern psychology, and uh, I'm thinking about uh, DSM in particular, mm-hmm. then then we are really really taking an objective behaviorist perspective on psychology. Would that would that be uh, accurate? Yeah, I think that's certainly
0: fair. Um, So the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, just for people listening, um, it's useful to note that the DSM is put out actually by psychiatry, which adds a whole nother layer to this, okay? So psychiatry is a medical discipline. They have their own kinds of commitments, mostly to uh, the idea that what medicine treats, at least in most traditional ideas about the idea of what medicine treats, is that it's a broken biology. Okay. So, Hmm. so something about the DSM is both a science that does put you in an exterior epistemology. It then lists, it comes off of a medical tradition and then it categorizes symptoms behaviorally. So then the doctor Hmm. sees that you have behavior. Now they're not strict behavioral in the sense that they, uh, they would be neo-behavioral. A neo-behavioral view is fine with things like self-report as indicating interior experience. Um, other behavioral possessions don't Uh, give any kind of validity to introspection. The neo-behaviorists and cognitive behaviors do. Psychiatry is mostly a neo-behavioral view um, and it affords then. So it would say, hey, if I come to you, for example, and I say, listen, uh, Alexander, I've been miserable. Uh, I've been really sad a lot. They take that at face value and they say, oh, the patient is suffering from sadness. And that self-report, is seen as a potentially valid indicator of my inner experiences, which is seen as part of the equation in a neo-behavioral view. But it is the doctor that needs to observe that and classify it as a symptom for it to get then, uh, then t- tracked. Um, so as a science, it's definitely grounded to some sort of inter-radar obju- you know radar observability that can have some indicator of reliability and validity and then get tracked uh, from the outside. Uh, and of course then that's on the also on the uh, as a health service professional then that means that you have to measure it and then you're gonna to try to fix it or give a pill or mm. do what you would do as a doctor in relationship to that.
1: And the interesting thing is that we, we don't really know that much about ourselves. so if I tell you that I'm happy <laughs> but I'm having road rage every day that I'm driving, maybe I'm really not happy so I don't think this is necessarily self-reporting is the most accurate way of determining a person's mental state? Well, every virtually every psychologist will agree with you there. Um, you know, there, there are very few psychologists that uh, take
0: self-report at, at face value. The question is not so much whether it is the whole picture. Very few people would say that. The question is, what kind of evidence does it give you and what does it mean if I tell you that I'm happy? Um and that's a very very especially now there's two we should also do one of the things my frame really forces us to differentiate is whether we are talking about ourselves as psychological doctors okay uh, mm-hmm. versus psychological scientists that's a whole nother the class of of a being the referent point of our position as psychological mm-hmm. doctors is very different than psychological scientists because psychological doctors by definition work with real people to try to affect change in some, you come in, you have to bring value. You have to bring reasons that have rationalities, to get back to our early conversation, that have values about what is good and bad. Uh, And Because now we're going to now do something, and often we'll get paid by the institution. The psychological scientist is in a presumably at least a more objective stance, where the task is not, of course, to create change necessarily, at least depending on your philosophy of science. But I'd say a standard philosophy of science is well, my task as a scientist is to describe change in the most and complexity in the most efficient, mm-hmm. effective, and accurate way. Um, and that's at least more removed at a values level. We could get into how do values interfere, uh, but values have to play a role for the psychological doctor and mm-hmm. in, in affecting change. I noticed that you left out the shamanistic psychologist <laughs> <laughs> well actually i'm becoming more of a shamanistic psychologist these days i actually dropped my license um and uh and and yeah i you know as bard and other people know I, I used to be a relatively conventional psychologist and now i'm a goddamn shaman on a hill alexander because i hang out oh. with people like
1: you <laughs> I'm glad to hear it. so you dropped your license tell me more about that yeah well, it, there's a,
0: it's a long story at one level, so I don't want to get into t- too much of the, the, the uh, as people that know me know, uh, there are two different way, reasons why um, that are related, but also separate. Um, one is that I did get in a fight with my program. That's a public, on public record. Um, hmm. And uh, I don't want to get into too much of the details, uh, but the short story is essentially I got into a fight and now I would say I'm a meta modernist. OK. And I got to fight with with, uh, postmodernism, you know, and and in the United States. So we had a lot of students uh, or and faculty and everything that really just saw the world in a very different way. Okay. Uh, Hmm. So, for example, like Jordan Peterson, um, like, if, if I would be of the opinion that, oh, Jordan Peterson and the Peterson phenomena is an interesting phenomena for us to hmm. learn and study about, some people are of the opinion that he's a horrible transphobe and we should never listen to him. And I had differences of opinion with those folks. Okay. Yeah, me too. So that's the kind of difference uh, that got emerged and then that got interacted in a couple of different things. And it also, and it made me basically, there were some concerns then about my beliefs and whether or not okay. I was safe. Okay. Uh, basically, wow. okay, yeah. on a professional level, on a kind of professional level. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, it's that's interesting. Wow.
1: Uh, yeah, that's really interesting.
0: And we got into a battle about that because I was like, "You're now worried if I'm safe," and I was like, "Well, okay,
1: that's that's a little." And this this bit was of the. Much. This wow. was the university who had, yeah, had at those the university. concerns.
0: Yeah. Okay. Uh, so. Uh, and again, that's why that's too much detail. That, you know, it's a long yeah. and complicated story that I want to get into. But people that know me know I went through that. And actually, I then had to learn a lot. In fact, it bumped me into the intellectual deep and dark web. You know, I was oh. sort of like, oh, my gosh, you know, I, I figured we, that the system would be interested in this. And instead, it got very polarized and then people kind of got reactive. I certainly got somewhat reactive and we ended up getting in a little bit of a fight um and wow. so I'll, I'll, okay. I'll, I'll frame it that way and it also mm-hmm. it makes it's the reason one of the reasons that i'm very interested in like rebel wisdom the intellectual dark web and the whole meta modern thing is because i was moving along and what i thought was you know my home turf and then all of a sudden it was like no you're not really you know we don't really believe the world the way you do and i was like well god you believe this and they think i believe mm-hmm. that and then i really discovered i'm a meta modernist i'm not a I'm not a truly progressive, uh, sort of hyper postmodernist.
1: <laughs> and I'm like, critical. no, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But to be your critical of that uh...
0: is, is pretty, is you have to be very careful if you're very critical of that uh, line of thought, as, you know, Bard represents that. I mean, Bard goes off and he's just like, screw it, I'm going to, yeah. you know. But in the United States, to be a professor, you have to be very, very careful with what you say. And, um, you know, uh, and so anyway, and I was less careful than I thought I needed to be. And then other people got upset with that. Of course, they have their version about what happened. And I'm not trying to blame well, anyone. Good for you. Um, what's up? Uh, good yeah. for you, I think. Yeah, good so, for you. <laughs> so, the, but the interesting consequence ultimately was that, you know, whether or not I was the kind of clinical psychologist, and certainly everybody loved my theoretical abilities, blah, blah, blah. And, and, and nothing bad really happened, but we got a big disagreement and then it was whether or not I would continue clinically at that level. The mm-hmm. other thing that happened is my identity changed. Um, my identity yeah. shifted in terms of where I, um, what I feel like I can contribute um, and where, what I think the world needs. Um, mm-hmm. my, my belief before was that my uh, task was to be inside the academy, meaning inside mm-hmm. the university, And helping people see that another new different way of thinking about psychological theory and its practice is what I can contribute. I have a totally new way of solving the problem of psychology and then organizing our practice. Because that's what on my day job is training people to be psychological doctors. That's why I talk a lot about, well, there's a science and then there's a practice. Okay, It's how to harmonize. That's a very complicated question. In fact, that's what Hmm. got me all But I then, this thing that I built, you know, backs up into philosophy in a huge way, you know? Absolutely. Um, And and I also found that the academy, meaning the institutional infrastructure, is really stuck in its old systems. I mean, it just sits there. Um, And the ideas that I brought, although people find them very interesting at some level, it had no leverage to make a difference in the academy. And just the the academy just look at it and be like, oh, that's interesting, whatever. It wouldn't do anything. Um, And so I sort of backed up into philosophy and now really feel like I basically am in this whole new worldview. Uh, I'm looking, I think we're in the midst really of a worldview change. And so I'm hanging out with people that are sort of on the leading future edge uh, of change, which is sort of outside the academy. And that's where I got bumped into. So that's why I hang out with people like you and Bard and Rebel Wisdom and John Verveke. We're sort of this leading edge, which is sort of, I, of course, I have my whole history in the academy, but really this kind of thought is much more likely to be found on the outside fringes uh, of where there's a lot more freer um, and less sort of intrinsic in, um, uh, inertia and institutionalized code. And I'm, you know, I need to get out of there. I'm starting to fresh, yeah. hit reset.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: and, uh, and you and Veike are working together right now. I, I heard on his podcast with uh, Peterson, Yep, yep.
0: John and I have done, uh, so we've done, we're working close together now. That, that's really been a big deal. Um, it's a big boost for you talk. There've been a couple of the big boosts for you talk, um, but one is the connection with John. So uh, John and I, I listened to his uh, awakening from the meaning crisis, the crisis. Um, which, which was really influential to me. Uh, and yeah. then, uh, and then I reached out to him and after a while, then John and I just developed a friendship and that friendship has really blossomed. Uh, but it, particularly because we share so much overlap and in intellectual work. So my unified approach to psychotherapy, psychology, and now philosophy has hooked up with his integrated big picture model of cognitive science and philosophy. Um, mm-hmm. And so we then did a series together. The first one we did was untangling the world knot of consciousness, uh, grappling with the hard problems of matter and mind. Uh, so we did a 12 session series there. And then we did a uh, elusive eye, uh, the nature and function of the self. And so we did a series with Christopher and Petro on the nature of the self. Um, and I'm super psyched because I argue that between John and I, we can now actually define behavior, mind, cognition, consciousness in the self uh, with a metaphysical, meta-theoretical structure that has never been really achieved before. So we can achieve coherence on those kinds of constructs, uh, which my argument in the problem of psychology, we actually never, we have no architectural coherence, at least in the Western science systems. Um, you know, maybe in Zoroastrianism or other things that Bard loves, <laughs> there's that. But, yeah. but certainly in the Western uh, kind of standard uh, scientific psychology, psychological science, mm. cognitive science view. There's no coherence and meaning of behavior, mind, cognition, consciousness, uh, and the self.
1: No, I would say that, like if you look into a field um, like alchemy, uh, mm. that that was actually what they were trying to accomplish. Yes, um, with with more or less success. What could ask you? <laughs> <laughs> But it was, it was an attempt to find where matter and mind overlaps and try to right. use, um, like association, which which is a Freudian Freudian uh, uh, concept. Um, right. But but of course that the the alchemists didn't know about Freud, but we can understand it from a Freudian perspective, where like transformation of matter um, says a lot about the transformation of psyche as well. Um, so there are these overlapping concepts which um, appears again and again, like in different emergence vectors. I agree totally. Of course, yeah. of course this also comes down to uh, the way we view the world and perspectivism, of course. Um, so like when, when, when like, uh, the, I love UTOC. Um, I think it's a really, really great system. And you're like adopting a, a, a combination between a big history perspective and then now I saw you recently added uh, synthesis and Bar- Bart's theory of the subjective agent as a way to understand how, how these different, uh, let's say events um, can be understood Yes, absolutely. That's, a, that's always been embedded, but it's
0: now becoming more salient. And I, um, I'll mail you an, an iQuad coin. I've got a, my iQuad oh, yeah. uh, you know. Uh, you know. <laughs> I'll, I'll send you <laughs> one of these. I, 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 this it's is an iQuad. Nice <laughs> yeah, that's the iQuad coin. And what it does is it represents. <laughs> so this is the i have three major systems that i now say if i can piece them together we'll get a synthetic philosophy so the tree of knowledge that's that big history view okay that's that objectivism picture or that what does natural science give us it affords us a perspective on the natural behaviors in nature the big history view says that over time by complexity they get that frame right but they don't get all the levels and different you don't get the emergence quite right in fact Mm. they completely if you know the big history frame they completely look overlook the animal mind it's it's not even Mm. it's not even a part it's not it's just they put it under big life so for them Mm. plants and and the animal mind and the nervous system are all one threshold uh from a tree of knowledge perspective and a problem of psychology view that's a very that's an overstep an overlooking Mm. uh the tree of knowledge says actually to get emergence right we need the Thresholds or levels like they get, and they start with that. So, for you start with energy and then you go into particles and then you go to atoms and mm-hmm. molecules. That's how they start. And they go across scale, like up into planets or stars or galaxies. So, that's the first. But then you do this jump. Uh, the tree of knowledge highlights the jump uh, as a different kind of emergence when we get into life. And then you have to go at life. Then you get the units of information at genes, and then they build cells, and then you get multi cells. Mm-hmm. And then you get that across scale, which is ecology. So like, a you know, uh, and then there's another kind of jump, which is then you get the neural network, uh, yoking together, complex active bodies in a brain and nervous system. That's an animal animals behave a lot differently than the other kingdoms of life. Uh, then you get groups of animals. So you get behavioral ecology, uh, sociobiology, that kind of thing. And I argue that's the mental dimension, really the animal mental dimension. Of existence, we need to delineate that. And early, certainly, Western philosophy screwed that up. Mm. Um, You know, they they did matter versus mind, but it's really matter, inanimate, living matter, mental, animal matter, and then finally, you know, over the last two hundred thousand years, we get into us from primates into hominids, and then hominids into collectives, Mm. you know, tribal collectives, and then tribal collectives into talking, narrative, oral, indigenous. (laughs) in the explosion of modern culture mm-hmm. and then that gives us civilization. And then civilization takes off, uh, ultimately builds technologies and Hey, we got the digital age and that's where we're, you and I are intersecting <laughs> right here along those lines. That's the, <laughs> that's the basic frame of the tree of knowledge, but mm-hmm. that's just a scientific. That's a, that's a, a scientific epistemology and an exterior behavioral ontology, which is mm-hmm. important, but it doesn't carry the life world life quest of the individual. Really, it's not the language system of science, as I will test as a psychologist, is really kind of blind to the unique, ideographic, subjective experience of being as a particular knower in the, uh,
1: with a contingent history in the universe. And that's- So how would would you engage with that then, like the phenomenological experience of the world as a clinical psychologist? Right.
0: Well, one of the things that I would always say, so if you would come to me and, or if I teach my psychological doctors, I always say, Hey, the patient is the expert on themselves. Okay. And what mm-hmm. I mean by that is they're really the expert on their own epistemological portal. Yeah. Okay. Now that's not, as you were saying, that is not their whole functional. Okay. So I'm a doctor. No. and I, if somebody comes to me, in fact, I can tell you many stories where people have like, Oh, I'm happy. I'm doing great. I'm like, no <laughs> fucking way. <laughs> that's no way. Um, but if they're being honest with themselves in that moment, that, that unique perspectival slice of ontic epistemic activity from their perspective is true. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's the whole, um, like Rene Descartes, like, here I think therefore I am, or just this is from at least my, wherever the contained. So if I'm happy mm-hmm. in the moment, then, uh, there, there's the, some, whatever authentic truth to that is in and of itself. And then you then decide whether you're going to share that publicly, then it becomes a public truth. So I tell you, I'm happy. Of course, I might be lying. Uh, but in the field of experience, then that creates one particular dimension, um, which is very hard from a scientific perspective to get a handle on, but it is the perspective that we have a handle on as human beings, you know, <laughs> it's like, yeah. you know, so clinically I often say, well, the patient is the expert on themselves. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, Best uh, therapy, in my estimation, there are a number of different therapy traditions, but the best therapy tradition starts with Carl Rogers. Okay. Mm. Okay. And and Carl Rogers, yeah, uh, absolutely. So I I argue that all good therapy starts with Carl Rogers. All right. And he critiqued, he was the, 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 Carl Rogers was the humanistic force in psychotherapy. And that was in contrast to the time of behaviorism, okay, which looked at from the outside, you know, and then psychoanalysis, which took from the inside, but also away from consciousness. Okay. It was yeah. sort of like psychoanalysis like, ah, eh, screw rationalizing ego. It's underlying id, it, and that's and that's the lens of which psychoanalysis looks. Super crucial depth of psychology. But from a psycho counseling perspective, you actually want to start with the subjective experience of being. OK, uh, and then empathize with the that ego experiential self portion of the individual. And mm. Carl Rogers teaches you uh, the first basic principles of how to be empathetic, how to be nonjudgmental, how to listen deeply and afford your opportunity to mm. see the self. The whole which basically and that would be a self similar to a Jungian self meaning a complicated architectural intersection that goes all the way down into the body mm. through the emotional heart into the head different from the egoic justifier but kind of really I want to check mm. Rogers believed uh, that people carried with them and it's humanistic is it in the sense that it's more positive and it embraces human potential he believed that people carried with them that self uh, operated on an orgism- organismic valuing process. Okay. okay. An, an organism meaning it knew if, if it were given the right contingencies, it would find its way to optimal growth and self actualization. Okay. Yeah, that's like a, a, a similar to individuation, perhaps. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, you're right. It would come to like you would go through developmental stages of mm-hmm. flourishing and growth if it's given yeah. the right environment. Now, what he argued is that people judge create contingencies of judgment on that organismic valuing self. It's like, I'll love you, but only if you're the way I want you to be. Like if I'm a father, it's like, Hey, I'll love you. If you're a really great soccer player, but if you suck as a fucking soccer player, I'm going to be ashamed of you and you better hide that. Or if you don't do what I say, I'm going to be ashamed of you. So these are contingencies that people of judgment that people put on people. And what Rogers argued is that those contingencies shrink And create a break between the social self and the authentic organismic valuing process so people then Hmm. have a self in here but it has to be boxed in and hidden okay because other people will judge the hell out of it all right so what the therapist needs to do is the therapist needs to go and peer into the heart the emotional heart of that valuing process and do so with unconditional positive regard i would not use that term but this is roger's original Hmm. term With empathy, accurate empathy, non judgmentalness, and unconditional positive regard. And he argued Mm. that created a client centered environment whereby I Mm. will mirror back to you what your heart is doing. Okay. And then that heart, and then through empathy, you will then get in touch with your heart. And then ultimately, Mm. you can then cohere with that heart and become the person, the potential that your organismic Mm. valuing process affords you.
1: So so if if we look at the things we don't know about ourselves, what would be your ontological explanation of that? So there's a difference here between like the Freudian and the Jungian understanding in the sense that Freud places a lot of these um, things we don't know about ourselves in biology, like um, our animalistic drives, for instance, where Jung perhaps has, has a more Platonistic perspective in the sense that these ideas Exist in their own right and have their own their own being. Yeah, this is a very complicated
0: question. I mean, uh, it's a <laughs> but uh, but I'll give you a short answer and then we can elaborate. Okay. Yeah. Um. So the 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 straight line answer that I that really aligns very well with Freud's basic model and actually uh, Young's and and Rogers' a generalized model. Let's start there and then we can get into some of the specifics. Okay. Yeah. And this actually my first insight that led to you talk centers exactly on this issue. Okay. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So the first insight that led to you talk happened in 1996. Okay. Mm. 1996 happens. Uh, What has gone on there is I start the process of doing psychotherapy. And I want to come at it as a scientist. OK, so I'm, hmm. I'm trained as a scientist. That's where, you know, I'm like, oh, science is great. And you're the measure shit and you learn the best. It's the best way of <laughs> gaining epistemologically valid truths. I mean, that's what I believed. I still basically believe that, but it's complicated. <laughs> okay?
1: yeah.
0: um, you know, it's a, and then I get into the therapy room. All right. And I learned actually where I was taught these the. You may have heard, even heard this, that cognitive behavior therapy, these are the empirically supported or scientifically supported therapies. That's basically yeah. bullshit, it turns out. Okay? Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, that's, It all depends on what your value is. And really, all the therapies work pretty well, and they work very similarly. And the key is how well the therapist connects to the patient, and they hmm. develop a shared narrative of what's going on that can lead to change. That's hmm. the key. Okay, so that's the the, the principle. And that kind of makes sense as you really think about it. But that's but that's what really the science says is like, can I relate to you? Can you and I develop a shared understanding of your problem? Can we you then understand that in a way that wants to invest in betterment? And can I give you intervention keys that would help Mm. you unlock more adaptive ways of being in the world? That's essentially Mm. therapy. Okay, but and what you see is the skilled therapists from whatever orientation are able to empathize with the person and and give the person language systems and a healing environment that allows them to believe and feel invested in the outcome. Okay, placebo effects, things like that. (laughs) that that came to mind immediately. Well, in psychology, it's complicated because actually what you're dealing with is the placebic system, I mean, it's the belief value system, so it's a very complicated, that that term applies in medicine, of course, but that based
1: on a couple of ontological, it it moves and changes. Well, I think the problem problem with the concept placebo is that placebo actually works
0: oh my god it works everywhere it's really just the psychic orientation basically it's the psychic you know the orientation of the psyche and we can then you know and you can what it really means is when you're in the biomedical world you do all sorts of variation and you realize that all the variance accounted for is the beliefs that the person hmm. has that's what they but in the psychic world you're the
1: variable you're interested is the beliefs and the, the orientation to life so it's it's a different- well, I, think, I think the question is that when you're doing like cognitive, uh, let's say cognitive therapy, for instance, yep. are yep. you actually doing science or you just engaging like placebo in the effect that you're convincing the patient that these like altered of totally. behavior will work? Yes. And, we, and the answer is we do not have the right, in fact, this is what drove me
0: crazy. We didn't have the right descriptive framework to sort out the complexity
1: of that question. Okay. No, because because where, where I think we go into like the, the Jungian aspect of it is that if you accept that um, placebo works, then you also mm-hmm. have to understand why it works, and then we go into the, like these substructures of the yes. mind, right, which are not necessarily let's say objectual, ob- objective behaviorism or animalistic. But it's based on like symbols and like deeper narrative structures, which not necessi- can't necessarily be explained through um, materialist science. Right. And, and that's certainly, in fact, that's I, the, the tree of knowledge argues
0: really that there's a whole upgrade we need to engage in in what we mean by the ontology of science. Our naturalistic ontology needs to change. Mm-hmm. Um, and we need to think that it's basically behavioral patterns across different emergent layers. Um, yeah. and So even the concept of materialism gets flagged because it's actually, well, uh, it's not like you have to reduce everything to physical billiard ball mechanistic cause effect. That is a that no. is definitely not what you wanna do. And that's actually, in science does not require that. The tree of knowledge gives us an ontology, my mm. argument is it gives us an ontology to hold the mental in relationship to the living and the matter and, and yeah. ultimately also the culture. Um, that's so, actually, what, let that's me. Of, yeah, absolutely. go ahead. I realized I didn't finish. I'll just hit this short yeah. story about what, how I think yeah. about what people know about themselves and then how I use that um, yeah. as a clinician. So, in 1996, my main, you know, and many of the listeners will know this, but I came up with a thing called the justification theory, justification mm. yeah. hypothesis. Okay. And yeah. the argument was that what I saw was this is that is, humans get together and they have good nonverbal intersubjective coordination. Okay. Hmm. And then we can yeah. form good, uh, tribes, uh, you know, hmm. Klaus Anderson and the socio not ont yeah. socio aunt. um, prior yeah. to language we're gathered, yeah. we are cooperating to like take down woolly mammoths. Okay. Yeah. And we absolutely. are, and we have also, you know, we start have s- uh, some opportunities, you know, we're building fires, we're working together, um, Michael Tomasello is a mm-hmm. primatologist, cultural theoretical, cultural psychologist, etc. He's a lots of different hats, yeah, but he yeah. shows that we build this theory of mind, uh, this intersubjective we space capacity probably five hundred thousand mm-hmm. years ago. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, and, and, and the unified theory takes all that as assumption starts place. Our minds start to sync up uh, through. What John Verveke would call your participatory dance. I see you, you see me, we're in relational recursive relevance realization, we're trekking each other out. Okay. Then we start using symbols to create a field. The tree of knowledge comes out of the first idea that creates this uh, that when the symbols get symbolically, syntactically arranged into propositions, um, that creates a particular kind of new entity. A proposition is a new kind of entity. Okay. Um, A proposition then is an entity that then makes positive truth claims Okay, that then can then open up
1: negative counterfactual space around it. Okay. Can I, can I ask a question? So, so I, I, are you saying that, that symbols arises in the interpersonal order? And then, because like my my argument would be, before we can even have something that's interpersonal, we need like as we need symbols before to even understand what we are engaging with. Intuitive symbols and interpersonal exchanges
0: can emerge in the animal kingdom similarly. I mean, I don't. I think that uh, to me, I would say that. I mean, certainly. Let's say like chaos and order, for instance. Total. Well, to, certainly to, that to, the to process a, of chaos and order comes way before animal. I mean, chaos therapy. and order is a, okay, and then those are intuition of intuitive things that the mind needs to track. Okay, prior to being prior yeah. to being social, I get that. Yeah.
1: So at that, so that's, so that's so but like when when I I I use the diff, uh, difference between potential and actual. And, ah, and me In too. the potential, yeah. yeah, and in the potential, I use the concept the implicate order. Yeah. Which I've borrowed from from both, uh, yeah. the mathematician and physicist of course. So so for anything to exist to become actual, there must be some potential rules which guides its emergence. Totally. So let's say we take we take a hundred people them on a certain island. even though they haven't interacted yet, there's still a large potential order which will guide how they interact when they choose to interact. So I would say before intersubjective interaction, there's still a symbolic order behind that. Okay, I, I don't agree, disagree with any of that. I, I, okay. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't use
0: the term symbolic order, but that's that's only a technical. That's, thing. Yeah, semantics. Yeah, that's just a semantic. So it's a, just a different. But absolutely. In fact, let me recommend a book to you. John and I are in a book. Uh, I'm a mini book club together. We've listed a several nice. books that we're reading together, and one of them is a book by Timothy Eastman. Okay. On untying yep. the Gordian knot. Um, and he's a Ooh, Yep. It, and so nice. he, his whole point applies the potentia and actual, uh, to quantum mechanics and then utilizes that as a multi-level scale emergence perspective. This just came out this book, 2020. That's amazing. Yeah. Wow. yeah. So well, definitely, it's a, you definitely, you definitely need to get, the, he does the yeah. best we've been talking about, you know, relational, uh, a relata relationalism perspectivalism potential and actual in on the TOK, on the uh, TOK, on the uh IDW list well this book nails that shit uh and, wow. and I really okay. yeah yeah definitely check it out it's really good mm. um How you well? know it takes white Whitehead upgrades it with modern quantum mechanics i mean Whitehead knew about quantum mechanics and, yeah, and used this process to good effect but you know, this guy is a NASA research engineer and an independent scholar, but yeah. obviously knows his whitehead shit. Um, and, and he created, to me, it affords the clearest sort of uh, metaphysics for quantum mechanics uh, into the classical world that I've seen. And it basically accords very much, of course, we all like it when our shit accords with something else. The U Talk has been, you know, has a pretty clear articulation of the relationship. Uh, between quantum mechanics and the classic world, and this delineates it with a lot of specificity, and it's completely dependent mm-hmm. upon the relationship between potential and actual. And actual, yeah, yeah, right? and the difference of, yeah. of time, and the logical and causal, what he calls logical and causal orders, and he argues that the superposition that's found in the subatomic quantum world is a non-Boolean potential logic that then collapses into a Boolean logical order when it ju- jumps into the actual, which then the macroscopic actual world operates in a cl- uh, classical Boolean way. So he he affords a
1: nice uh, connection there. Have you read um, uh, Quantum Mechanics and the Philosophy of Alfred North by Epperson? I Actually, this you- is who he ba- that's who, That's who he
0: bases it off of. So, okay, so that's, a, yeah, okay. that's, a, that's where exactly where it comes from. Epperson is yeah. his main quantum mechanics uh, and, and Whitehead and in fact, the whole, yeah. uh, the, the the relational framework, he calls it the low guy framework, which is a, or hmm. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but it's basically, he builds off of Everson's stuff exactly. So great. Yeah, yeah because
1: because I, 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 I had a great experience, in, uh, experience reading Everson and like he was the one who really made me understand that potential is everywhere. Like it's not, it's not confined to sub physics. It's not confined to quantum mechanics. We have to understand it as a continuum of being, um, which exists everywhere. Yeah. This guy, the philosopher of science, Roy Bashkar
0: makes a similar kind of insight. Yeah. Critical realist. That's where I got it from. So Roy Bashkar divides ontology up into real generative mechanisms. Okay. Yeah. Which load potential of actual so real generative mechanisms and then they jump into actual and the distance between real generative mechanisms and actual are potential and then he also then has another category which i think is interesting which is actual to empirical the empirical Mm -hmm. positions the actual in relationship to the perspective of the whatever knower you're talking about that makes a lot of sense Yeah. yeah 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 so it just lines up real generative causal potential sets the stage for actual, what are the events that actually happen. And then we also need to position the events that people are talking about in the empirical perspectivalism of whatever they're talking about, because that's obviously yeah. a window or light cone of availability that they would only have access to.
1: Yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah. But going yeah. back to uh, going back to the unconscious, uh, how, how would uh, so So if, if we are talking about, like, you, you don't necessarily like the word symbolic, but like if we're going from the big history perspective, mm-hmm. where would you place these Platonic ideals? Okay, well, right. Uh, all right, the
0: Platonic ideals of like core forms that give rise to that are um so uh I'm I'm basically an a, a re- Aristotle Neo-Platonic person. Okay, so so essentially like the, I mean, I, I would, as well, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, uh, so so I, I do part. not. Yeah. Yeah, I, um, so I'm a Neoplatonist, it, but with a with an basically coming out of Aristotle. Uh, so yeah. I do not see idealized forms as having uh, the ontological ontic, ontic ground ontic of existence. existence. That, yeah. Right, ontic existence really is a better way of saying it. Uh, but that, that that yeah, my ontology does not put forms at the ontic, generally. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, but my, my ontology starts. With energy information at the Big Bang, which is more mm. of a physicalist or substance ontology, I, I'm a one-world person. Uh, I used to call myself substance monism, but I now realize that that's that's too clunky. I'm just a one-world. I'm a one-world substance person as opposed to a dual-world or so non-duality. Um, and and oh, plural. I do... What's that?
1: A oh, plural. I, mean, I don't think we like. There's like I, I enjoy neutral monism. As well mm. yeah so like, well that's a because yeah. because otherwise we go like head forward into like the hard problem of how right. new attributes come come into being right well there's a couple of hard problems there's the emergence hard
0: problem dynamic of new attributes then of course there's the hard problem of consciousness we can talk about those kinds of elements mm-hmm. I think I've got uh, frames on those, obviously there's still a lot of wide open questions in relation. Um, but yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I, I, for me, the easiest way to initially describe it as one world as opposed to dual world, two world. Yeah. And then there's a multiplicity of different onto epistemologies that might emerge that one, you know, might emerge. There is then, there is the best um, transcendent realist view is given by science, at least, you know, so in other words, science and and the big bang and the idea of what I would call the energy information implicate order, to invoke Bohm again, there's an energy yeah. information implicate order out of which matter emerges. Um, that mm. to me is the basic. So if we have an emergence idea, I start mm. with Big Bang, which is zero time zero, space zero, energy mm. information. And then there's the first cause in Big Bang, whatever, whereby mm. electromagnetic radiation is the first force that breaks off of the Big Bang. Um, Mm. and starts the time epochs, you know, plonk time one electromagnetism breaks off and then you get the differentiation from that foundational energy information core to the four forces of energy, uh, electromagnetism, gravitation, um, if you want to call gravity a force, whatever, Mm. uh, but strong and weak nuclear forces. And then they create the energy information quantum fields Mm. um, that then are the real generative mechanisms that give rise to the actual through potential. Um, mm. And then the emergence of that potential then coalesces or coheres into the macroscopic world at a multi-level mm. emergence that ultimately mm. gives rise to across Big Bang history. I mean, big, big mm. history time by complexification that then affords mm. us an opportunity to be here with our I quad coins and our life history and then our map of what the hell that
1: would be going back in time. Mm. That's the basic uh, relational field structure. So I would, in in this sense, I would perhaps go back to Hegel and and uh, and more modern uh, Adrian Johnston, in the sense that our our ideas uh, of the tr- transcendent or transcendental world is, is still based on idealism or the phenomenological. So we are starting in, in a frame of mind where we are all that exists, and then we we experience uh, other things through the difference to ourselves. So we have to work that as an uh, ontological basis, in some in some sense.
0: Yeah, to me, Roy Bashkart does this nicely. So he he is he, he critiques, uh, and again, I I wish I knew more about the Hegel and the uh, uh, tradition. So I'm, I'm for for Bards list, I'm horribly ignorant about Hegel, and I and I apologize to everybody listening. <laughs> um, well,
1: but it's, it, it's it's in, in some sense it's very simple because hmm. like every assumption you make is based out of your sense experience. Sure. So, yes. so if, if we are talking about big history, in some sense, you're extrapolating through the things that are not like yourself. Yep. So, so in some sense, that is the, like the center. And what I would argue, like from a Whiteheadian perspective as well, is that if we take the subjective out of these previous emergent vectors, mm-hmm. in some sense, we, we are cheating. Yes, because there's there's no, there's no reason to like, we have no argument to take it out. Right.
0: Well, there's a couple of, okay, here's a this is how I think about this. So this is fascinating. So first off my, I'd start with metaphysics. Okay. So what are the concepts and categories? Okay. And then basically I would then underneath metaphysics, I then say, okay, I have an on epistemology, i.e. I then know shit from my perspective that then justifies an ontology which is my theory of the ontic, okay? So this is yeah. these are the fundamental ingredients of knowledge, to claim I, knowledge about anything, okay? So if those are fundamental ingredients, then we are tied to our own epistemology, our own sub, whatever it is that creates the epistemological portal, however mm-hmm. we want to think about that, has got to be considered, at least in relationship to whatever claims that we're making to be real. In other words, it's hmm. defined, you have to have a human knower as part of your philosophical frame that's what i would say okay so you have to have the knower included. Yeah. okay so yeah i would and be the, very i
1: would be very hesitant to use like like the concept real is, is dangerous well it is because, it
0: is dangerous i i would I, No, we can I, I mean i'm a critical realist i think Roy bashkar
1: nailed this okay. very nicely okay so i'm not yeah. a um i'm only uh, i'm only superficially uh aware of bashkar I, I do know him but i haven't really studied him uh, in depth so he basically starts with an a Kantian epistemology. So that's
0: his his initial yeah. ground. Okay, so which, in other words, you're, is and he's also he's also
1: very the aware between phenomena and open up.
0: Yeah, exactly. And Kantian yeah. is an idealist position. I mean, really. I mean, it's a, obviously it obviously mm-hmm. he's anchored to a Newtonian um, mechanics. So he mm-hmm. certainly grounds out at a real and a particular kind. Kind of way, or whatever, it connects to the nomina. The relationship between nomina and phenomena Mm. fascinating, complicated. You know, what did Kant say? I've read six thousand different interpretations. Whatever. Um, Yeah, yeah. (laughs) absolutely. Anyway, but but he Kant certainly grounds our knowledge in epistemological phenomena. That's certainly clear. Mm. Okay. and and i cert- i come basically from that tradition in fact you know at the, so i have that in me pretty deep uh, and i and i certainly mm-hmm. would not say i escape it i through roy bashkar i i grab a hold of a lot more ontology okay and and mm-hmm. and, he arg- and you certainly can't reduce the ontology to epistemology that's roy bashkar's point like don't yeah, don't reduce your, your, as if the only thing that exists is your ideology, your idealism. I mean, that becomes idealism mm. at its reduction and it loses yeah. the grip of uh, ontology. So mm. uh, Roy Bashkar basically then says no, he has what's called the Tina framework, which is there is no alternative for an ontology, which basically gives rise to a like for example, the yeah. argument that Big Bang happened. Okay, so let's take the concept of Big Bang. We can think about that epistemologically, like, well, it's defined in relationship to my own senses and extrapolated over time. That's one argument. Hmm. But it's also the case that there is, I can argue very clearly, or, or you can make the argument actually, Big Bang is a logical set of propositions and empirical data that the public then metabolizes to give rise to a propositional claim. Hmm. Okay then that propositional claim is actually quite far away from any phenomenology, like to use John's language of perspectival participatory knowing. In fact, the Big yeah. Bang to be 13.8 billion years ago where all mm-hmm. space and all time are collapsed into a fucking thing is so far mm-hmm. away from any phenomenology. Uh, you can argue, I would certainly argue uh, that, well, there's. A, you can argue that's a propositional ontological claim, okay, that's based yeah. more out, out in the propositional deductive or inductive or abductive
1: reasoning that is actually very far removed against our human experience. Okay. Yeah, because I would argue that saying first was the word is actually closer to our phenomenological experience of existence. Yes, I would agree with that. Yeah. So Absolutely. I think that, I, I think like these different ontologies connects to different um, epistemologies in the way that if we are trying to examine matter, symbolic Narratives doesn't make sense, but when we are trying to explain meaning, or we are trying to explain, well, yeah, other things. Then other languages starts to make more sense, and I think like the project should be how to find the nexus between these different forms of understanding. Oh. Um, I'm ver- I'm very fond of the concept nexialism. Ah, I've so, heard that. So, now uh, apparently, uh, but apparently also, but it comes from an old sci-fi book about like um, a spaceship uh, filled with different scientists um, in different fields. And the one person who could translate the information between them is the Nexialist. Ah, and he... <laughs> I love that. I'm uh, yeah, it makes yeah. my day. Yeah, because yeah, actually that's yeah. what I feel like I developed with
0: this system. I did it sort of in psychology. And it's like, I often talk about sort yeah. of Rosetta Stone systems. Like
1: I can kind of speak yeah, exactly. everyone else's list system with this thing. You know, that's, uh, that's wonderful. Yeah, yeah, I love yeah, that. Ah, yeah. I really, I, I really think. love the concept of Nexialism and it ties in with perspective, to, uh, Nietzsche's perspectivism a lot as well, because I think, and, and, and this is from Hegel as well, before anything can have meaning and before anything can have truth, we need difference. Yep. So, so, like, let's say uh, Gertrude Stein, a rose is a rose, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, the rose means nothing before the rose differentiates itself from the rose. Right. So A is a, Hegel says A is a, that's, that's, um, that's, a, fa- uh, uh, that's, that's a false statement because A becomes nothing. You need right. A to be something else. A and prime means, or whatever. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, a delta, you would say in that right. Yeah, okay. Yep. Yeah. So before anything can have meaning, it must uh, there must be a difference between it and the real. And that means it's always limited. Yep. So so what I'm working on is, is trying to find these bridges. Mm. And I'm very uh, I'm very inspired by Markus Gabriel, a uh, uh, German yep. uh, philosopher sure. extraordinaire. Yep. Um who, who works with what is called domains, uh-huh. which is very, very similar to emergence theory, but that things uh, exist in different domains. And the project should really be how to bridge these different domains. Because like there's no, there's no way to combine the scientists uh, with with the, shaman, the shamanistic tradition, unless and that's the whole point of the Red Book and Jung's and schizophrenia as well. Totally. It was that like his mentor Freud was very based on empirical science. Yep. And Jung like had this feeling that there was more to the subconscious. And, and this ultimately led to them never speaking again. But then Jung had like hardcore hallucinations for four years. Yes. Like he saw tsunamis of blood uh, with like corpses. And and like he interpreted later as this was a prediction of the first world war. Because, oh, like, oh. when God is dead, we have to invent our own values, and this um, this, this becomes like um, a, like when, when we become gods, we we start Total. placing arbitrary values on reality. So, so I think like a, a, a way to solve this problem is to create bridges between like these different domains, so they are not like scattered. And I Total. think like we are living in a very po- polarized uh, time right now. Maybe what defines our time is polarization more than anything else. I think so. so I think, like, uh, what, what you're talking about with meta modernism as well, because, like, it's not like uh, deconstructionism wasn't valuable. Sure. It was very Absolutely. valuable 100%. because you had, you had meta narratives which were, were too limited. Um, and then deconstructionism came, but now we have too many perspectives. So, in a way, we need a new nexus. Which allows the different perspectives to be recombined, remixed. A hundred percent agree with that. It's really, yeah.
0: really key. In fact, uh, they, you know, the, to me that sensibility is called the integrated pluralist mindset integrative yep. at the center pluralist yep. around we need and we need to swing the modernism tried to create some transcendent ideal and it's true and blah 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 and it had some truth to it but it was also very weak the deconstructed postmodern not to mention social justice issues they hmm. they you know undermined uh hmm. the sort of the transcendent truth of that and now we hmm. that's where we are but now we have to re um, mm. Establish the integrated center and it does it through an appreciation of the intersection between different epistemologies, okay, or onto epistemologies or whatever, like the unified theory. The unified theory carries with it the tree of knowledge. So that's like science, okay? Yeah. Um, the garden, which is a wisdom philosophy, all right? So it's for a collective ethos of, of tribes all the way up to the globe. And the coin, which holds the ideographic subjective agent, the perspective mm. of the individual. And it basically says these are fundamentally different frames uh, that we need to place in proper relation. Oh, no. mm. uh, so that makes that, a lot of sense. So and that's the and it's uh, we don't have a synthetic philosophy that allows us to jump between these frames um, mm. in a particular way. And the cool thing when I read Bard stuff and other things is because mm. I didn't have what what the U talk misses. Um, hmm. although it shines a light on, what it misses is uh, industrial techno society. So, so Utah does not afford a lot. It, it, it basically divides out natural science and natural behavior, say all the way up to the civilization and then hmm. carries psychology and physics up into philosophy. But it looks at it and it's like, it doesn't really frame the emergence of the techno social layer of existence. It doesn't say a lot about that. Um, It grounds that in a particular way, but that's not an area like economics, like macro level economics. I know a little bit about that. I can draw some lines in relationship to that, but that is not the area of of fundamental expertise. But it it says that there's an evolution of a techno-social civilization, a process Mm. that we're embedded in. and It says that when we hit digital, Mm. now you get information interface across domains and that's going to explode us into the next world. So then, when I saw Bard's work, I was like, holy shit, you know, my Bard's embracing the techno social, you know, he's pulling uh, Zoroastrianism and other versions, yeah. and then framing Cynthios as the God we create in relationship to the, you know, this 20th century. And that amazingly aligns and fills in a huge number of gaps. That's why I was like, oh shit, I can grab a hold of Bard. He has, brings a different perspective, you know, um, and that fills in key gaps. And we can have different, you know, narratives. You know, I'm an Enlightenment 2.0. He's Dark Renaissance. Whatever. But it, it, it's, <laughs> but that's, the, but the future
1: will afford an integrated pluralism across a wide variety
0: hmm. of different domains, just like you said.
1: So, so how would we go about creating a bridge between, let's say, the phenomenological and the materialist uh, views on psychology?
0: Right. Well, that's
1: <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> it's hard. it's a hard fucking question
0: because. Well, I mean that's the like, whole the would, whole unified okay, theory so, project is is basic, The reason I left is I mean that's essentially the unified theory project. I, I well, to, I
1: think I think you have a, a really nice schematic, but but I'm talking about a practical solution. Mm. So how like if we're talking about, okay, so um, how like do you know Luman Lumen? Uh, Lumen? No, I don't think so. Nicholas Luhmann. Okay. Oh so, yeah. So yeah, I think I do know that. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah okay. Okay. so the way the way Lumen uh, describes um, when when two different modes of belief meet each other, they will always be in, in competition with each other. Mm-hmm. And you can perhaps create like a big diagram where there's an overlap. But his system is called double contingency. Okay. And double contingency is is, is not necessarily focusing on the overlap, but creating a larger understanding wherein mm. both can coexist. Uh-huh. So, so what I really like about TOK is that you have a very well-defined schematic about these different belief systems relate to each other. What I would perhaps uh, argue is, is, is needed or uh, could be a next step is how do we create oh, like larger Total. systems where they can communicate with each other. Absolutely. Well, that's actually, so uh, I'm working with a guy
0: by the name of Corey David Barker, um, yeah. who who developed sort of most focused mostly on epistemology, but developed this macro level, and, and really for his doctoral dissertation, I think he's going to develop macro level system that is it, mm-hmm. essentially uh, sort of an algorithmic, computational recursive angle that affords much okay. more like semantic, syntactical interface between systems in in a more sort of formalized way than you're describing. So, uh, I mean, that's a, so it's a really
1: fascinating thing. uh, But the point of it is- I have to look into it. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. But when you're talking about computation, it's, it's, it almost sounds like it would be a reduction again in, in, well, my like, Meyer, I'm, yeah, I might misunderstand. I, it. And I'm just,
0: I'm just briefly summarizing. He's a very okay. thoughtful, and and not, in my estimation, he's got a, he's, he's architect. And what he calls it the arc modernism, which is what he basically, my fifth joint point, and maybe Cynthia's digital age, all of and the integrated pluralism. It's basically, it's a. My point was, it's a very similar kind of vision of seeing the nexus uh, interface uh, system to get systems to talk to each other. And to create an overarching system that affords the pluralistic beliefs to retain their integrity at one level, but also synergistically interrelate at a higher order. Basically, that's the that, you know so so that's the, <clears throat> the. I was just saying, there's an arch. That guy has a vision for an architecture that's very similar to what you were just describing from the tree of knowledge perspective. Absolutely, yeah. I mean there's. Uh, you know, that it's a golden thread and that needs to be woven together with other threads to create a whole
1: blanket or a tapestry
0: or whatever. OK, so.
1: Yeah, because um, I think I think we should avoid like uh, assimilation or integration, because that would lead to reductionism. Well, certainly you, have a, then you will be you will be framed in either materialism or idealism. But I think the next step is to create something that can embody both perspectives
0: Right. Well, we, we need an emergent relationalism. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and and in fact, actually, that's what Eastman basically describes. So the whiteheading the yeah. Eastman book. So and yeah. and that's certainly where uh, the 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 U talk is definitely. I don't think the U talk collapses either into a reductive materialism or uh, a no. ontic formal formism. I mean, no, it, 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 is it's more a, it's more oh. a schematic right currently. Yeah, it's, yeah, uh, to it's to definitely a schematic. Uh, yeah. Uh, the, the The other thing that I'll say about it is that it's uh, you know it's grounded, well, historically grounded in a very pragmatic problem, which is this yeah. problem of psychotherapy, and that is the so- problem of psychotherapy is a what is the continuum of human f- functioning at the psychosocial level or human psychological mm. level? okay? So it's like, what is that from a adaptive well-being living perspective? And that's mm. essentially what psychotherapy has to deal with. So you have to then say, hey, Who is dysfunctional and in distress on the continuum of psychosocial human psychological functioning?
1: Hmm. Because I would argue that that a large part of the current meaning crisis is based on our like our lack of a connection to the like a grand narrative. Totally. So so like new, new atheism and. Let's say like also like all these like um, secular belief systems which are trying to replace God in some sense like uh, like feminism and and uh, like critical theory in some sense they're trying to replace God with what with, with I, I would describe as a very materialistic system because you are focusing purely on, on dominant systems, for instance, but I think that there's a truth in it, but I think we could connect it to to a higher um, a higher narrative where it wouldn't necessarily create as much polarization as it's doing right now
0: that's my that's i have that meta-modern spiritual view 100 percent i mean that's a, mm. a that is definitely uh i mean first off i'm raised as a new atheist so that's what that is that's Me my too. origin <laughs> Me um, too. but then i i rediscover or you know what somebody like bard would be able to see very quickly i mean the the um, that means I basically got framed into a concretized version of Christianity, meaning, hey, you believe that there's God. He's basically made you in your image in a very specific uh, theistic way. And that has mm. to be the truth that he gave his only begotten son. You believe that literally or else it's all a fraud. And then
1: science comes well, along and says, oh, it's all a fraud. I mean, this is the, the,
0: the, the tension. Well, then of we go the,
1: back to like the, the problem of, of propositional knowledge versus like narrative knowledge. Totally. Totally. So, I'm just so saying let's the say, simple. Let's, the simplistic like, atheist like, like, claim
0: is is that that's all. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I, I would say that they're avoiding the question entirely of narrative knowledge in the sense that, like, if you take the biblical narrative of like the earth is flat, yep. from a scientific perspective, that's nonsense. But when we look at the world outside our window, it appears rather flat, and That'll... when we look at the sky, it appears as a dome, and rain comes down from on top of it. So totally. I, I would say there are different categories of truth, and the problem is that because materialistic knowledge was such a strong influence of our, on our development, we have divorced ourselves entirely from the truth in narrative knowledge. Hundred percent. So, so, so I would say, and I think this ties into the problem of psychology as well, in that like we are defining things, um, we are defining psychological uh, suffering as though there were medical problems where they're not necessarily based in in a materialistic world. 100%. So so I think we need some ways of making those two systems of uh, thought uh, interacting again.
0: I 100% agree. I mean, that's a, the you talk is fundamentally about changing uh, the conversation and seeking other seers that can change the conversation along those lines because we need an upgrade in our worldview. There are paths to do that, uh, but we need a real movement to you know reset our fundamental worldview, the nature of humanity, mm-hmm. and the human condition. Uh, and if we're going to really move the system in the back half of the 21st century, assuming we have that much time, uh, mm-hmm. we have to reconsider foundational elements uh and i really like bard's mythos uh, logos and pathos uh in fact mm. i would say that uh sort of the at least scientific logos is given by the tree of knowledge uh the garden the whole thing is a mythos really it's a fundamental story about what we can be about how to align align ourselves collectively with an ethical transcendent view uh, the pathos relates to the coin in relationship to the um our mm. own embodiment uh either a sort of Childlike individuals, primate, fundamentally dark—you know, the dark pathic or the child pathic. There are different angles you can go on that. Um, but yes, what that holds is, is the idea that humans are going to operate off of different narratives. And again, we need an integrated pluralistic across um, narratives to cultivate our full potential.
1: I think. I think the question is the resurrection of God in some sense. <clears throat> uh-huh. Well, I think like um, because I'm writing about the Red Book right now and. And right. in Jung's big problem, the rec book, is how to um, recon- uh, reconcile the, the scientific part of his mind with the spiritual part of his mind. And in some, in, in some sense, like the, those two aren't able to unite until he goes like into hell. And, right. and, and like the, 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 it's, it's a beautiful story. He goes into hell and find like he sees uh, the body of a child uh, who has been... Molested through war, mm. and, and his soul asks him to eat the child's liver. This is like like he's painted these things uh, and written them in German calligraphy. Wow. And as soon as he accepts to eat the child's liver, um, it emerges again as a beautiful woman who is this enigma. Huh. <laughs> it's, <a bit> <laughs> it's a bit dark. Yeah, no doubt. But, well, that's the dark path. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it, But in some sense, I think the question is how to um, resurrect God. Yep. Because like enlightenment killed God. So the question, how do we resurrect him? Like what is the new, like, because our highest ideal is God. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's for me. Right. Yeah. So for me, here's how
0: I did it as a new atheist and, and committed to a naturalism. So, so I'm a one worlder. So at that level okay but this is what bart helped me with this i was on the path to this but bart cynthios helps me do this okay Hmm. so that now i figured out how to believe in what so what i believe in now is the concept of god okay Hmm. so i believe in the concept of god uh and and that's a really pretty easy thing to believe in at one level
1: okay well you can believe in every concept, like uh, uh, well, the concepts exist. <laughs> concepts exist, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I believe so. concepts exist. So, so, so
0: here's so here are a couple of intersections that happened for me. So first off, I completely agree that scientific materialism does something to the human soul and spirit. You know, it makes it consumeristic. It makes it hedonistic. We need to be aligned towards our potential in a particular way. Um, mm. And the con, the the materialistic. Image that I that I sometimes get manifested. We're just a bunch of chemicals, okay? Especially then contrasted to eliminate like the idea that there that there is a real God who loves you. That's a very nihilistic picture, and that's, that's an entire
1: justification narrative. Well, I I, w- I would argue that nobody really believes that because like just like earlier we were talking about, a person can say that they are happy but oh, they no. have road rage every day. I, I would agree. say that atheist a- atheist has other gods. It, it just goes down the hierarchy of what you believe in. So, yeah. so maybe, maybe um, like uh, gender issues is your new god, or, sure. or you, certainly. or democracy I, is your new right. god. Uh, virtually, every, if you be, or if you believe in materialism in a particular
0: way, so then it becomes an ideology that That's you then. That's a god. Yeah. Okay. If you define God that way, right? Uh, so God now can get simplified in all. I would sorts define. Of I, ways.
1: I would define uh,
0: god, god as your highest ideal. I would define. Totally. God. My icon, I have an icon for that that sits yes. above the god and card the elephant sun god. So the elephant sun god is the god, icon the of sun, God. Yeah. Uh and it sits uh, Wait, it, it why, why an
1: elephant? Is it from Hinduism?
0: Yep, it's about to, it's a symbol uh, is it so, from, Yeah, Hinduism. Yep. Well it happens to bridge over to Hinduism. Um I landed on the concept, and interestingly enough, it also – it has particular iconic reference for me, okay? Um, mm-hmm. It's because I the first chapter in my book on the unified theory of psychology is can you see from racing horses to seeing the elephant, okay? The elephant okay. is from the <laughs> – the in uh, the uh, john godfrey sax's poem about the indian story about blind men and the elephant yeah yeah right? touching touching you know, everybody's touching topics. grabbing yeah and yeah. then it's in other words it's a classic integrated pluralistic view of the world okay Met- metaphor okay. meaning that people are have perspectives there's partial truths in that but if you see the whole you can see it effectively uh mm. so and and i was arguing that psychology in different phases has been organized as schools of thought that race horses against each other so you're asked to say oh i believe in this and then race Mm -hmm. the horse against that and gain more funding gain more attention gain more Mm -hmm. influence and so i was saying hey there is a way to see the elephant instead of race horses okay so that's always been one of the one of the frames that I help to when people ask me, "Well, what are you doing and how are you approaching psychology?" the meta-theoretical vision can be captured by the elephant and
1: blind men metaphor. Yeah, but that's that's super interesting because, like, in a way, you are placing symbolism higher than anything else. Then, because, like, you're you're admitting that from from our phenomenological, ph- 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 ontological, and epistemological perspective, we can only touch one part of the elephant. The only way to conceive of the full elephant is through symbols.
0: Uh,
1: listen it, Yeah. I mean, I, th- th- when we get
0: into it, you're going inter- to I mean, the, the symbolism and the intersection that I have between, say, mathematical forms, physical reality, the essence of it's a very, very networked thing. And that symbolism That's- dynamic it comes right up into the core of our living being. It comes mm-hmm. up in the core of our mental being and it organizes our mm-hmm. cognition in a particular way. So the idea that we have a collective unconscious in relationship to this, we can piece that in in particular ways for specificity is complicated, but that we're organized this way is is yeah. definitely part of the narrative I would offer.
1: And, it, and so it, it, I, It's a, it's at least our highest value. Mm-hmm. And then like, if we talk about the onset, there's a reason why Lacan like, and Bouloudar call this the desert of the real, right? because like nothing, nothing, I like we go back to your garden metaphor, nothing can grow in the desert of the real. <laughs> <laughs> nothing can grow there. Right, so, nothing else. So what What comes closest is, is perhaps the, the symbols. Yep. And then the symbols, um, like a, a crystal, and then we have like Gude's uh, Law of uh, Diversion, uh, it comes into different epistemologies and different ontologies, which are shattered parts of the whole, and yes. we, uh, and to unite them, we need a new symbol in the top to understand how they can communicate together. Totally, totally, and and so and all, what my I see my U
0: talk as one thread of possibility that affords yeah. a way I tied together natural science through the tree, the my subjective experience of being through the coin the garden as a wisdom philosophy underneath the sun God. And it's basically then says, hey, here's a collective ethic in relationship to my ideographic being in relationship to my version of science. And now it's like, hey, let's find other systems. And if we weave together systems of coherence along those lines, then we will Mm. be building that arc for the placement between things that pull against each other originally, but then can be Mm. synergistically uh, related. So you get a, yeah. you know, and Hegel would be happy with that, with a thesis, antithesis, yeah. and ultimate synthesis, um, macrospective. So that's the, definitely the think, vision of you talk.
1: Yeah, and I think um, we don't have to define the son of God in some sense. And I think that's why in like in Islam, like creating the semblance of God was frowned upon because like then you diminish him into a system. That's the same like in the story of uh, the Babel Tower, Totally. The closer you try to get to God, the more the more languages you create, right? Yes. And and, so, and actually, I found it was helpful. This topic came up in
0: Jordan Peterson's talk with John Verveke recently on their yeah. podcast, and they were talking about the difference between
1: icons and idols. Oh, uh, yeah, I remember. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I yeah, was yeah, like… Yeah, I, because you, yeah. you can create yeah. an icon, but an right. idol, uh, idol is dangerous. Totally.
0: So then I was like, yeah. oh, that's what I mean by the elephant sun god. I want to be clear. It's not yeah, my yeah. idol, it's my icon no. to orient. Mm-hmm. So then then, then yeah. it can then it creates a symbolic holding to orient for that yeah. spot. It's not a sacred idol that we now all bring mm-hmm. everybody into, you know, uh alignment with across in that kind no. of way. So it's a different, because- fundamentally different kind of frame of reference That a yeah, Because then it becomes up a product of, of reductionism again. It, it, and so absolutism, like right? An absolute yeah, would create a yeah. potential absolute, you know, authority across then the people that yeah. are underneath that idol, then just organize a particular frame of reference. That's a very much more uh, at a yeah.
1: social level, a lot more dangerous way of being. So there's like the desert of the real above it, and then we have like the sun god. This goes very much into gnosticism as well. <laughs> yeah, no process which is like in, in Gnosticism you have the god of, the, of our world which is fundamentally flawed because mm-hmm. like the, the god of the desert of the real is unreachable right. so like we have to accept that we are working on a compromise but the best way to avoid getting into any form of fundamentalism is keeping it ever changing mm-hmm. and I think this is a story of the Bible as well So God has to die and be reborn in order not to stay dogmatic. Mm. Yep. And certainly what I found, although I didn't really know it at the
0: time, but the whole um, my reaching and grabbing the tree of knowledge and then ultimately evolution of the garden and all of that, Is about is about creating that dynamic, evolving weave, and creating a science, spirituality, mythic space in between. I mean, that's definitely that's part of what I mean. People looked at it like, "What the hell are you doing?" And I was like, "I don't really know." (laughs) (laughs) Young would appreciate that. I don't really know. I'm getting called called to do this in a particular way, and that's really what it was. It was a call to you know build bridges between science and spirituality in a particular kind of way, and that's what. that's what it sits as and that's what i believe is part of the great task of us in the 21st century is to
1: figure I, out I, com- I completely agree i completely agree that's also why like my like the play i'm writing now is so focused on the discussion between Fart and young because that's the really the divide and the key is trying to find a perspective which embodies both mm. um so I, I think i think you're very right in that th- th- this is our great question amen 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 all right well that
0: brings us to almost about an hour and a half let me ask you uh just sort of like when you look out at the horizon as we begin to wrap up kind of like um you're i asked folks near the end of this kind of get a sense of what their um, sense of the horizon is what their vision maybe what their hopes and fears are or however you want to kind of take that and see where you would run with it so when you're thinking about uh the future you can put it in personal terms you can think about globally whatever
1: i am um I'm very positive I think about mm. the future. Okay. In the sense that I think that um every crisis brings a possibility of enlargement. In the sense that, that I think that the problems we are experiencing now um, as as humans will bring us closer to understanding each other in some sense. So mm. like it, I I envision it as like um like the whole me too movement and the whole like like right. gender and race problems right now. I envision it as a blind man walking through a room, trying to find the borders, trying to find where's the walls. Huh. And sometimes they go a bit too far, and <laughs> then they go back a bit. So so I, I think even though it looks chaotic right now, I think we are on the right path. Beautiful. Uh, All right. That's a, that's a,
0: that, I think that. Um, that's nice. I, that really resonates with me. I like that imagery of groping and blindness, but at the same time, <laughs> you know, the feedback loop and, and yeah. optimistic that I, 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 I'll confess, I feel split. Sometimes I feel more pessimistic and, oh my yeah. God, my three kids. And are we going to live it, you know, make it to the half middle part of the century. And then yeah. other times I'm like, oh my gosh, we're on the cusp of some uh, great transition. Uh, I love I that imagery so. of, and, and I, that's a, that warms my heart to hear you have that vision. Uh, in a particular way so um well alexander thanks so much for uh you know coming and sharing i I, I really enjoyed the conversation um and uh we'll have to circle back sometime and uh share some more dialogue i'll certainly put this up on a various list in particular the idw list and see if we can spark some conversation with bard and others on this
1: fantastic have a good night greg
0: all righty friend you take care you too bye